mutilate, mutant. Hmm, I wonder. Oh well. Oh well, better get home. Say, I must be crazy walking out in these woods alone at night with a horrible mutilation practically around the corner. Oh well, Ooh, what a night. Glad I don't believe in things. What's that? <laughs> this is crazy. Things like this just don't happen. Noises? Noises in the woods? <laughs> Stay away. Stay away. What's that? What's that? No! Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Two dollars multipass. Multipass. Lena, uh, multipass. You know this multipass. Your stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can. And sing at the same time. Good morning. Welcome to Celluloid Days, a podcast of film and film history. I'm your host, Jeff Kelly, and look, I'm sorry about missing the show last week. What can I say? You know, I'm a one-man operation, and sometimes, well, you know, life gets in the way. In fact, I'll be taking all of June off, and I'll be back in July with new episodes. I might post older shows during my vacation. I don't know. But anyway, let's get to the show. Today we're going to talk about a film called The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra from 2001. It's a delightfully silly comedy that I really enjoy watching. And you know, one of the hardest comedies to create is a parody film. The filmmakers have to find that perfect balance to give the feeling of the film they're trying to imitate while also creating a comedy. And I don't think that's very easy. There was a time way back, a few years ago, when Amazon Prime used to allow filmmakers to upload their films. And there were a lot of low, low low-budget films, I mean very low-budget films on there, and I, I always enjoyed watching them. And there was this gentleman, and sorry I don't know his name anymore, that did a whole series of parody films in the style of 1950s horror and sci fi The thing was, he overdid everything. I mean... The effects were overly cheap. The dialogue was overly silly to the point where it was no longer convincing as a 1950s film. I remember on some of them, 10 minutes into it, I'm like, okay, I got the joke, but now what? I mean, it was painfully obvious that this film was nothing more than a joke and that joke couldn't be sustained for 90 minutes. Making fun of the obvious flaws in those classic films can only take you so far. After that, well, you need to come up with something that'll keep the audience engaged. I can remember one film in particular where there was an evil scientist who used those long, dramatic pauses whenever he talked. Let's see if I can imitate that. It it would be like, um, of course, there is nothing uh, evil going on around here. And he did it every time he spoke, and by the 15th time... It's sort of like, yeah, I get it, but the joke's over. To make a successful parody, you need to convince the audience that the filmmakers 
were earnestly trying to make a great film and just came up a little short. So what's my point? It's this. The film I'm talking about today, Lost Skeleton of Cadavra from 2001, is probably the closest I've seen to getting it right. There were a few times within the movie that it strays and you get pulled out a bit, and I'll talk about that later, but they do a good job, for the most part, of staying within the confines of the film they're trying to imitate. And it's not a parody in the style of Blazing Saddles or Airplane. Those films, it's almost anything for a laugh. In Skeleton, they attempt to keep the film looking and sounding like the style of films they are trying to imitate. The film is the brainchild of Larry Blemire. Oddly, I couldn't find the date of his birth. That's the thing about a lot of people in this film. I I, I couldn't find out when many of them were born, but anyway. He went to the Art Institute of Boston and studied illustration. For a time, he toyed with underground comics. He got into filmmaking sort of in a roundabout way. In an interview in the 96th of October website, he said, When I was studying illustration at the Art Institute of Boston, a roommate of mine, an actor, was auditioning. I was curious. I thought I'd like to try that, so I auditioned and got cast. It was one of those things, right out of left field. As I started acting in theater, I began to think about writing, which led me to think about directing. Larry is sort of an odd man who does many things. He paints, does web series, plays, short films, comic interviews. He writes books and and whatever. The following is from a fake interview where he pretends to be a man who hosts a science program. What what, what is your field? Oh, uh, zoology, which is is more and more people are getting into zoology because they haven't, um, I mean, a lot of people haven't even heard of it. And yet, it's can really you, can famous. Can you say it slowly for me? Zoology. Z- this is and mo- this as a, a I've been um, focusing on just that field for a long time and trying to make it more, you know, user accessible. What is that? What is that field? Right. It's the study of. I mean, it's very specific. It's the study of, um, you know, when you're, when you're walking, down the street and there's those uh, round, the big round things are sort of floating and you, you sort of see them and you you don't see them and uh, then you suddenly like turn around all of a sudden. And they're, you know, and then it's another, it's a, like you're in another direction. Or dimension. And, and uh, well, not really a dimension. Mm-hmm. Well, kind of. I mean, it, it's sort of kind of, I mean, you got you to be a seismologist to know about that. To know that, exactly. You know? Now, is that, is that, is that something that happens in your brain, or is that something in the world? Oh, boy, if we had the answer to that, Allison, we would open so many doors. Really? Doors that should be left closed, yeah. The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra was his first film. And briefly, here's the story of the lost skeleton of Cadavra. Dr. Paul Armstrong, with his wife Betty, travel in their convertible to mountainous woods. Paul is a scientist who is looking for a meteorite that has fallen nearby. He believes it's made out of a rare element called astrophorium. Seriously, Betty, you know what this meteor could mean to science. If we find it, and it's real, it could mean a lot. It could mean actual advances in the field of science. Oh, I know. I'm used to it, I guess. You might say I'm a scientist's wife. Meanwhile, another scientist, Dr. Roger Fleming, is searching for the lost skeleton of Cadavra, which he finds in a cave. And also, an alien ship lands in the same woods containing crowbar and lattice. From their ship, a dangerous creature, a mutant, escapes. 
Or who knows how many untold millions will die by its hand. If only it did have hands, my woman. If only it did have hands. Well, it turns out that the aliens need astrophorium to get their spaceship fixed. And in another strange coincidence, Roger Fleming needs the astrophorium to revitalize the lost skeleton. Now, Crowbar and Lattice has a transmutatron, a type of ray gun that looks strangely like a caulking gun. And they use it to disguise themselves as Earth people, a necessary disguise as they approach the cabin the Armstrongs are staying in. However, Roger Fleming finds the transmutatron and uses it to transform four small wild animals into a beautiful woman whom he names Animala, but introduces her to everybody else as Pammy. Relax, my pet. I am your friend. More than a friend, I suppose, since I created you. But I must give you a name. To us, you and I, you shall be Animala. I find that name appropriate somehow. But to the others, to those inferior to you and I, you shall be Pammy. Along the way, they meet a farmer and Ranger Brad. Paul will do the rock dance with Animala, and the skeleton will look for a bride. And we will all ask, what is an Amish terrarium? The film stars Larry Blameyer, the writer and director. He plays Paul Armstrong. In an interview, Larry explained why he starred in his own film. I'm drawn to more writing than to directing, and more to directing than acting. I ended up being the scientist in Lost Skeleton because I was new to L.A., and I didn't have anyone in mind for Dr. Paul Armstrong, so I decided to play him, partly because I figured that's one less person I'd have to direct. A bit foolish in retrospect, jumping in like that, but I do enjoy acting, though not as much as writing and directing. And he does a good job playing the serious but not too bright scientist who perhaps does too much science. I really think you could use a break from all this scientist work. It's, it's almost as if you've been doing too much science. Too much science? Is that possible? His wife in the film, Betty Armstrong, is played by the gorgeous English actress Faye Masterson. I don't know. Nothing I can put my finger on. Not something I can see or touch or feel. But something I can't quite see or touch or feel or put my finger on. Oh well. Should we find that meteor? First of all, she does a fantastic job of covering up her English accent without ever sounding totally monotone, which happens to many others who attempt the same thing. The relationship between Betty and Paul is a 1950s-style marriage that's taken to the extreme. She's probably the most accomplished actor in the film. She was born in 1974 and, as a dancer, was discovered at age 11 when she was cast as the head girl in the 1988 film The New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking. This began an acting career that includes films like Cops and Robertsons from 1994, the Quick and the Dead from 1995, and Eyes Wide Shut from 1999. I thought it was funny that she was once working with Stanley Kubrick, 
with a huge budget doing take after take and all that. And now she's doing a low-budget film with a 10-day shooting schedule. And she's still acting today. The alien Crowbar, who also goes by the name of Bannon, is acted by Andrew Parks. It is safe, she who is my wife. You may come out now. Andrew was born in 1951, and he was the child of actors Larry Parks and Betty Garrett, both who had a long career in Hollywood. Andrew also has a pretty accomplished acting career. He was in the films W.C. Fields and Me from 76, The Mirror Has Two Faces from 96, and Donnie Brasco from 1997. But since Lost Skeleton, most of his work has been with Larry Blamire. He plays his character in the film as if the actor playing the part thinks himself a great Shakespearean actor and now is giving his all to this B-film. And it works wonderfully. He's there just chewing enough scenery to make it believable. He says that he looked at it this way, that this is the best part this actor has ever gotten and he was going to act his heart out. Crowbar's mate, Lattice, who also goes by the name of Tergasso, is played by Susan McConnell. You think the Earth people think we are strange, you think? It is strange how the ways of different people on different planets differ, is it not? I couldn't find a lot about Susan. There's no information about her on the internet. Her acting career seems to be limited to Larry Blamire films. She's another one that I couldn't find a date of birth. Susan, who are you? Anyway, her character makes me laugh, especially when she talks about wearing a dress, which she calls a funnel. Now, Susan has an Irish accent, but does a great job of covering it up. Like Andrew Parks, she plays her part as if she was a stage actor who never acted in a film before. Also, I should mention that she shot this film with a broken collarbone and only went to the hospital near the end of shooting. The other scientist in the film, Dr. Roger Fleming, is played by Brian Howe. Hello, I'm Dr. Roger Fleming, and I seem to have lost my way. Brian was born in 1957 and is primarily a TV actor. He appeared in such shows as Law and Order, Touched by an Angel, Will and Grace, and Boston Legal, as well as many, many more. In this film, he has the problem that, although he discovers the skeleton, the skeleton doesn't like him at all. Like everybody in this film, he just has that perfect touch of being a bad actor without overdoing it. <laughs> Ranger Brad, I'm a scientist. I don't believe in anything. <laughs> now, Animala, a.k.a. Pammy, is played by Jennifer Blair, who happens to be the real-life wife of Larry Blamire. Always agree. <laughs> She's another one I can't find much information about. She is very sexy in her black outfit. Apparently, when she did the rock dance, she was very sick. I love the scene in which she shoves her face into a plate of food and comes up with mashed potatoes on her nose. Dan Conroy plays Ranger Brad. I'm Ranger Brad, and that's what I'm here for. You can call me Ranger Brad. Most folks do. He's another one who comes off as a bad actor. Now, he tells the story that after the first take, Larry said to him, I like what you're doing, but here's the adjustment I want you to make. Um, you got hired in this film because you're a real forest ranger. They couldn't afford a costume, so they got a real forest ranger. And you're that guy. Um, you've never acted before. 
you're a little uncomfortable and a little stiff, and acting isn't something you've ever done before. When Dan responded, isn't that going to look like bad acting? Larry said, yes, that's what I want. In fact, all the actors in this film are forced to act as if they are not good actors. And again, there's that fine line to be bad, but still give the impression that you're trying your best. And of course, there's one more actor I want to talk about, and that's the skeleton. This bony thing has a bit of an attitude problem, if you ask me. You two shall pay dearly for ruining my special day with your lives. What are you doing? She can't help you. You must find the atmospheric. Amish terrarium. Must find Amish terrarium. I don't understand. Why does she need an Amish terrarium? Don't the Amish live in open air? Like us? Of course, Betty. It's absurd. Putting the Amish in glass cases would be inhumane. Surely Pammy doesn't realize what she's saying. Obey me. Obey me or I'll... You fool! You skinny, bony jackass! Stop it or you'll spoil everything! I will get the... Amish terrarium myself. So it's hard for me to pick out a favorite scene. I mean, the rock dance is great. Crowbar and Lattice trying to figure out the stairs and doors to the cabin is hilarious. But I would say that, that the attempted marriage of the skeleton to Lattice is fantastic. I mean, from the part where Anamala tells Roger that the skeleton hates him to the fight between Roger Fleming and Paul Armstrong is so enjoyable. Hey. Hey. Skeleton. Skeleton. Stop it. Stop it, I say. If he wakes, it'll be your fault. But it'll be you, he yells at. It's always you. He hates you, Roger. All right, Anamala. Just go see to the wedding plans. Prepare the alien to be the skeleton's bride. How do I do that? Just do it! Woof! Of course, the scene where Crowbar and Lattice are forced to dance is very funny as well. Dance! Dance! <laughs> <laughs> Meow. You can't make aliens dance! This is just wrong! You don't know what you're tampering with! And you don't know the lost skeleton of Cadavra, but you will! You will! <laughs> Enough! Yes, Mesco. Bring the female to me. And so is the part where the two aliens try to explain to Paul the scientist, of what's going on. Now, for the love of Mike, would someone mind telling me what the heck's going on around here? The mutants got Betty. We are aliens. Whoa, whoa, slow down. I'm a scientist, and that was still fast. We had a mutant. It got loose. It has Betty. Hey, hold on, one at a time. I'm going to get whiplash here. Now, just suppose you start at the beginning and, and tell me what happened before I get one whopper of a headache. So the film took five days to write and was shot in just over ten days. It was shot on videotape on a budget of less than $100,000 and was converted to black and white in post-production. About a tenth of the budget was used to shoot at Bronson Canyon. Now, if you don't know Bronson Canyon, that's where a lot of films and TV shows were shot. There were a lot of major Hollywood films made there, but also a lot of B-films such as The Robot Monster, Day the World Ended, It Conquered the World, The Brain from Planet Eros. The Cyclops, Attack of the Crab Monsters, The Bride and the Beast, Earth vs. the Spider, The Monster from Green Hell, Teenagers from Outer Space, and so many more. 
The TV shows that were shot there were things like Batman, Bonanza, Combat, Gunsmoke, The Outer Limits, and so many more. Because of the connection to this location to B-Films, Larry thought it was most important to shoot there as well. The problem is, these days, it's very expensive to get a permit. And, in fact, they had to work quickly because another larger production was scheduled to shoot there right after. For the cabin scenes, they rented three cabins at Lake Arrowhead. To get permission to shoot there, according to producer Miguel Valnetti, they had to convince those who ran the place that they were not making a porno film. They lived in one cabin and shot in the other two. And sorry for ruining the illusion, but that one cabin in the film was actually two cabins. And to add to the effect, they're totally mismatched. Now, one decision Larry made early on was to only use static, boring shots. There's almost no camera movement at all in this film. Just one or two shots where the cinematographer got to be a little fancy. He was trying to match the film work that he remembered from those 1950s films. As he said, they were shot the simplest in telling the story in an unimaginative way. When setting up the lights in an early shot, they were only about half done when Larry said, let's shoot. The producer said the lighting looks terrible, and Larry responded, that's right, that's perfect. The shot of the spaceship landing in the woods was shot in a bureau drawer in Larry's backyard. The spaceship was created with a toilet paper roll and a plastic nose cone, and the scenery was parsley and oregano for ground cover with little railroad trees and broccoli as the foliage. The Geiger counter that Dr. Paul Armstrong uses is a broken voltmeter they got off eBay with a microphone from an old tape recorder. If you watch the film, the needle never moves. The actual skeleton was bought off eBay for $98, And one problem they had was hiding the brass fittings that held the whole thing together. The music all came from the Valentino Music Library, a stock music service. There he spent weeks going over tons of music to find the right tunes, and he picked the tunes before the film was shot, which, which helped him out in planning what he was going to do. Now, because this was a low-budget film, everybody chipped in together. The actors would do things like cook food and to help with the cleanup. It was really a group effort. And if you watch the outtakes, you could see that they were really enjoying working together. And that's the thing, I watched this film with a commentary, which I often do. There's two on the DVD, one with the crew and one with the cast. And one thing I noticed that seems to be constant with every film commentary I watch is they complain about how cold it was. I don't know what it is about filming, but it seems to be always the actors saying how it was too cold. That's the same for this film. They said on some days it didn't get warmer than 20 degrees, and they were surprised that you can't see anybody's breath on film. Noise was also a problem. In the scene where Betty and Paul Armstrong talked to Crowbar and Lattice on the porch, they had to pay off a construction crew who were building a house nearby to stop for a little while, and they also had to deal with traffic noise nearby. They had a lot of audio cleanup to do in post. 
Okay, I've made it clear that I find this film really enjoyable to watch. But let's find out if everybody feels the same way. And for that, like always, I'm going to turn to the IMDb user reviews. BM McDaniel 13 gave it the full 10 stars. And he or she wrote, It was my turn to pick up a couple of rental movies last night. When I saw the cover art, complete with the filmed in Skeletorama proclamation, I just couldn't resist. Upon my return, my wife says, What did you get? The lost skeleton of Cadavra, says I. She looked askance at me. She continued to look askance until about five minutes into the movie. By that time, she had resorted to laughing herself to tears. As a quick summary of our take on this movie, the wife, who has never been a cheesy 50s sci-fi movie fan, nor an MST2 or 3K fan, wants to buy a copy for our very own. A nice story there, and I understand it completely, yet I don't know what you mean by MST2 or 3K. What is MST2K? Am I missing something? Anyway. C. Harold 22 gave it seven stars and wrote, Dead on spoof of a bad B movie is done just so perfectly. Close-ups are too close. Edits are too slow. Minor points are hammered home. It's as though the director has seen every bad movie made and crammed them all into one movie. He doesn't go for cheap laughs like technical screw-ups. It's actually the equivalent of a relatively well-made grade Z horror film. It's all played straight, although the movie will occasionally go ahead and throw a laugh that's a little bit too smart for this type of movie. This movie isn't any funnier than a true bad movie like Plan 9 from Outer Space, but it's more constantly funny. Real bad movies generally have some scenes so badly done that they are hysterical, but also scenes that are just mediocre and tedious. But Skeleton keeps that so awful it's wonderful feeling throughout. It seems you really enjoyed this movie, and I can't quite understand why you only gave it seven stars. You should have explained the reason why you didn't give it those other three stars. Hmm. Confused. Dave Freeze 3 gave it only five stars, and he had this to say. No, this is not the greatest movie ever made, but it has many fun moments, and the performers are as entertainingly awful as only very good actors pretending to be bad actors can be. Does that make any sense? My only quibble is that the professor and his wife, played by Larry Blamere and Masterson, are presented as just as goofy as all the other characters, but at times they are required to be the straight man and woman, which just doesn't quite work. And so you only gave it half the stars possible due to one minor quibble. And on a personal note, I think it worked just fine. But hey, that's me. Donner11 thought this film only deserved three stars, and this is what he or she thought. The makers of Lost Skeleton of Cadavra set out to make a bad science fiction movie, and they succeeded. They made a bad science fiction move. It is supposed to be a humorous throwback to the nonsensical movies of the 40s and 50s, but The Lost Skeleton of Cadavra doesn't have that kind of material to support its runtime. The movie gets very monotonous with the purposefully bad acting. All in all, it's an interesting attempt, but the movie suffers from a lack of real original ideas. 
As a 10-minute sketch, it probably would have been fine, but as a 90-minute movie, it's just not. Hmm. While I respect your opinion, even though you're wrong, I think this movie does just fine at 90 minutes, and I've watched it more than once. And finally, Jay Pettiberg 70116 gave it only one star, and he or she wrote, I often get kitted for my choice of monster movies. Zombies of Moro Toro, Terrors of Spider Island, Queen of the Zombies, etc. So I like schlock. There is the nostalgia I feel when I see these movies I used to take seriously as an adolescent. I used to think Batman was a drama too. I enjoy watching them today with like-minded people. We make fun of them and have a great time doing it. But this movie contains none of the nostalgia I was accustomed to, mostly because it was made in 2001, not 1961. It also just plain didn't work. It's like they tried to make a stupid movie. They succeeded. It was so stupid I couldn't watch it. The other types of movies I mentioned worked because they were made as serious movies, at least for kids, and the adults got a kick out of watching them because of all the mistakes in them. This piece of schlock is one scene of deliberate moronic humor after another. For example, the constant references to science and scientists are a way of getting us to laugh at an intentional mistake. Sorry, the repetition is exhausting after a while. Anyway, The Lost Skeleton of Cadaver could have been a good spoof on 1950s horror movies, but it was a huge disappointment. Well, that's your opinion. Personally, I think it was a wonderful spoof on 1950s horror, and for me, it worked just fine. I certainly am a normal Earth woman. Isn't that right, my little space comet? <laughs> Stop that, my love. My wife sometimes forgets she is not a space alien. But as people mentioned, there are times where this movie does stray away from keeping to a serious attempt at making a realistic B-film. There are scenes that wouldn't happen in a real cheap film. There is one scene in which Paul and Helen are looking out of the window as they see what they think is a meteor. Paul says, I wonder. And it cuts to Dr. Roger Fleming in the woods in another location, and he says, I wonder also. Oh, Paul, could that be your meteor? My meteor's already landed, honey. That would be scientifically impossible. Right. Who ever heard of a meteor going back to space? There must be another meteor altogether. Hmm. I wonder. Hmm. I also wonder. It's a humorous gag, but it doesn't make a lot of sense, and it's not something you would have actually seen in a B-movie. There are a couple instances like that, but I forgive that, and I'm probably just nitpicking. So personally, I think this film is just great, simple, mindless fun. If you and your loved one want to chuckle a little on a Friday night, this might be the film for you. Though you can tell from some of the reviews that it's, you know, not for everybody. Inside, something terrible. Oh, she scares me, Raven. 
Katie Collins. She'll be eight years old. bit before I go. Larry Blumeyer followed this up with the film Trail of the Screaming Forehead a couple years later. You know, I've watched it and even owned the DVD, but I really don't remember anything about it. Uh, maybe after I finish this podcast, I'll give it a watch again. In 2008, he made a sequel to Lost Skeleton called The Lost Skeleton Returns Again. I recently watched it and um, it had a few laughs, but Neither forehead or return captured the same magic of Lost Skeleton of Cadavra. Now, if you've got any thoughts on the Lost Skeleton or Larry Blumeyer or anything else, you can email me at daysofcelluloid at gmail.com. Days of Celluloid all being one word. You can email me for any reason, even if it's just to say hi. A good email always makes me feel warm and fuzzy inside. Or you can use my Facebook page, it's called Celluloid Days. And I have a Twitter page, it's at Celluloid underscore Days. Next week I'm going to do a film I saw for the first time last week. Actually, I have to admit, I saw the Rift Tracks version. It's called The Visitor from 1979. It stars John Huston, Mel Furrer... Glenn Ford, Lance Hendrickson, and Shelley Winters. It is the story of, um, well, uh, you know, uh, to be honest, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I'll try to make sense of this Italian masterpiece next week. Now, before I leave, I have one more request. Could you leave me a review? Hopefully a good one at wherever you stream this podcast. I'd be forever grateful. Thanks for listening. I hope to be back next week. And uh, one of these days I'll get my act together. So take care, stay healthy, see you later. They're under the goddamn ground. Tell them about the Twinkie. What about the Twinkie? They have 500 years of democracy and peace. And what did that produce? The cuckoo clock. Dallas Multipass. You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. I don't know whether I even want to go out with Jeff again. The High Court may well sentence you to torture. Can you play the piano? I can't.